Hello, and welcome to this podcast about a series of 11 research reports on tobacco use and tobacco control in China. These papers are now all available online in full open access in the supplements section of Tobacco Control, which is the world's highest impact research journal in this area, now in its 24th year of publication. I'm Simon Chapman. I'm Professor of Public Health at the University of Sydney, and I had the great privilege of being the editor for the supplement. Today, I'm joined by three guests. Professor Jeff Fong is Professor of Psychology and Public Health and Health Systems at the University of Waterloo in Canada. He's also Senior Investigator at the Ontario Institute for Cancer Research, and in 2002, Jeff led the creation of the International Tobacco Control Policy Evaluation Project. Bit of a mouthful, but we all call it the ITC Project. Over the years, the ITC Project has become what is one of the world's largest tobacco research programs, if not the largest. The ITC Project is examining the impact of tobacco control policies across 23 countries, including China. So welcome, Jeff. Thanks very much, Simon. Glad to be here. Now, Judith Mackay is an Edinburgh medical doctor. She's based in Hong Kong. She's been there since 1967. She is Senior Policy Advisor to the World Health Organization, a Senior Advisor to the World Lung Foundation, the Bloomberg Initiative, and Director of the Asian Consultancy on Tobacco Control. Her particular interests are women and tobacco, tobacco in low- and middle-income countries, especially China, and countering the tobacco industry. So welcome to you too, Judith. Thank you very much, Simon. I'm really pleased to be in on this conversation on China. Finally, we go to Angela Pratt. Dr. Pratt leads the WHO's work on tobacco control in China. Previously, Angela was Chief of Staff to the Australian Health Minister, Nicola Roxon, and she was intimately involved in the passage of Australia's first historic plain packaging laws. So welcome to you too, Angela. Thanks very much, Simon. It's great to be here. Okay, so let's start off with, I think, a question for you, Jeff. Now, for those who are not so familiar with the ITC project, can you give us a description of the overall ITC project and then more specifically, tell us something about the ITC China project? Well, Simon, in late uh, 2001, I got together with uh, some colleagues uh, in different countries and we realized that the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, which was being negotiated at the time, was going to be finished with the negotiation and there was going to be a treaty where um, nations throughout the world would be obligated to implement tobacco control policies. And this was an extraordinary time and opportunity to evaluate the impact of those um, implementations. And I looked around and there wasn't uh, really any kind of evidence system that was uh, capable of, of evaluating the upcoming uh, tobacco control policies that we knew was going to be um, implemented throughout the world. And so we created a very large uh, international project from the start 
starting in four countries, Canada, United States, United Kingdom, and Australia. And we endeavored to build into this survey as many of the elements of good design that would allow us to conduct rigorous evaluations of the upcoming policies. Um, so we did started that in 2002 in the four countries. Uh, and then after that time, we added countries. The first country that we added was Ireland to evaluate their seminal comprehensive smoke-free law. Uh, we also added Thailand and Malaysia and uh, a number of other countries throughout Europe, South America, and Asia, including China, which we started in 2006. Uh, the ITC China project, like all other ITC projects across the world, have a foundation of a longitudinal cohort survey. So we survey probability samples of smokers and also non-smokers, uh, and then we have one wave of data collection, and then we go back a year or two years later uh, and then find those same people. And then uh, for those people who are lost to attrition, we uh, replenish the sample uh, at each wave. So in China, we started off with seven cities where we did our survey. And now four waves later, we actually have uh, 10 areas of, of China, five large cities and five uh, rural uh, areas. The survey covers many of the major tobacco control policy domains of the FCTC, and uh, we are able to evaluate policies that happen to be implemented um, interspersed among our survey waves, allowing us to do pre-post tests of the impact of those policies, and then also to compare uh, policies that are implemented in one country with those in another country where those same policies have not been implemented. In other words, uh, what is known as the natural experiment or quasi-experimental design. So in China, we have uh, gone through uh, five waves, just finishing the fifth wave a few months ago, and we have reported our findings in close to uh, 50 articles in various journals and in uh, a number of presentations at scientific meetings. Um, so we have, uh, over the past uh, decade, close to a decade, been uh, an evidence-gathering system that has allowed us to understand and to test the impact of tobacco control implementations in China. Okay, thanks, Jeff. Um this supplement, as you know, um, that's just been published in Tobacco Control is actually the second from the ITC China project, and the first was released in October 2010. I wonder if you can just uh, outline for us some of the highlights of the findings that presented in this new supplement. This uh, new supplement has uh, 11 articles in it. Um, and 10 of them report data from more recent analyses of the ITC China project. I think with respect to policy evaluation, there are two domains in which this uh, supplement has uh, added to the uh, literature on or our understanding of what's going on in China. For example, there's a paper that is led by Tara Elton Marshall showing that China's continued failure to implement graphic 
pictorial warning labels has led to significant missed opportunities to increase knowledge of the harms of cigarettes. And this missed opportunity by staying with uh, text-only warnings has affected millions of smokers in China. Uh, Tara showed this by comparing China's uh, revision of the warning labels, which were text-only, to Malaysia's conversion to pictorial warnings. In 2008, both uh, China and Malaysia had the same rather terrible text warnings, only on the side of the pack. But then after that, China uh, chose to stay with text only, uh, moving the warnings to just 30% of the front and the back, whereas Malaysia, around that same time, went directly from the text warning on the side to 50% graphic warning labels at the top of the front and back of the pack. And that's consistent with the Article 11 guidelines of the Framework Convention. So on, we found um, in this study that on every measure of warning effectiveness, Malaysia was far superior to China. Uh, for example, there was a 12% increase in noticing warnings in, in Malaysia when they went to graphic warning labels, compared to an increase of only 3% in China when they stayed with text only. Now, that difference in percentages may seem fairly small, but that actually translates to over 28 million fewer smokers noticing the warning in China because China kept with text warnings instead of introducing pictorial warnings like Malaysia did. Um, in another uh, policy paper, uh, we evaluated China's efforts at smoke-free laws. Uh, and in a paper that I led, we found that the smoke-free laws in China have only decreased um, smoking very, very modestly. And we have a lot of experience in evaluating smoke-free laws um, on the ITC project. We've done so in close to 10 countries. We found that in Ireland and France, um, after their comprehensive smoke-free laws, smoking in restaurants went down from 70% to less than 5%. In contrast, in China, in our um, article in the supplement, smoking in restaurants in Beijing went down somewhat, but only from 93% before their partial smoking ban to 67%. So even though it did go down, it was significant, it was very far away from the near total success of smoke-free laws in other countries uh, studied by the ITC project. Well, thanks for that, Jeff. You've, you've described three of really outstanding papers that were in that supplement. And uh, anybody, of course, can go online, as I said at the beginning, and, and read all of those papers. You've really whetted people's appetite, I'm sure. I want to turn to you now, Judith. You've been a leading force in getting China to engage in tobacco control for many, many years. Tell us what you've been seeing in China in the first years of the uh, Xi Jinping government. Are things any different? Is change really in the air, do you think? Well, just to put this into a historical um, component, tobacco control in China really started in the 1980s when they had their first national prevalence survey. And during the 1980s, they held the first conference on tobacco control. 
and it was deemed to be so sensitive at that stage it was not able to hold it in Beijing. The conference had to be held down the river in Tianjin, away from the sort of political light of the capital city. And I think it's fair to say that over the last 30 years, an awful lot of background work has been done by colleagues both inside and from outside China in terms of getting to a tipping point that I do believe came two years ago. And I think it's changed tobacco control in China from a yes but response from the government to more to yes. And of course there's still a long way to go, but that tipping point which came two years ago really followed a 240-page report from the China Central Party School. And for those who are unfamiliar with the China Central Party School, this is the ideological think tank of the Communist Party in China, and which really basically drives the whole policy and forward direction of China in principle. And I have to say that the ITC reports were quite instrumental in feeding into the China Central Party School and to having an effect on its report. And then since then, a whole raft of things have happened. There was a state council directive to government employees um, not to smoke in smoke-free areas or at official functions, to have smoke-free offices, not to give out free gifts of cigarettes. Um, the Ministry of Education decreed there was no smoking in schools and universities, no advertisements for tobacco in schools, no sales. Um, Beijing became a smoke-free city on the 1st of June 2015 this year, and that seems to be working extraordinarily well. And then the Ministry of Health, the Commission, is drafting a national smoke-free law at this moment. Uh, the Ministry of Industry in April of 2015 brought out a new law for banning tobacco advertising that was fairly comprehensive. Even the People's Liberation Army issued a notice on strengthening the tobacco banning and control in the army. Uh, the National Health City Standards included tobacco control. The Chinese Academy of Government, which is the twin pillar of the political system in China with the party school, it became involved with tobacco control, its economists. And finally, there have been tax increases for the first time. And these have been modest, but they are the first step and they've been passed on to the consumer. And again, that was in May 2015. So I think it's fair to say that really more has happened. This acceleration in the last two years more has happened in the last two years than in the preceding 20. So I think this augurs well for China's future. There is still a long way to go, of course, and an awful lot of work to be done. But I think, you know, the train is out of the station. Okay, well, that, that's amazingly encouraging. Um, that's, that's just terrific to hear that. I, I think it Good if we turn to Angela now. Angela, you're of course the tobacco control point person in China for WHO. You live in Beijing. What have you been seeing there and across China about the readiness of the government and the people for stronger smoke-free laws and tobacco control more generally? Thanks very much, Simon. I absolutely agree with Judith. We are, we're really seeing a sea change on tobacco control in China at the moment and uh, being here in Beijing, I feel like we're, we're kind of at the forefront of that. For those who may not be aware, Beijing implemented a new smoke-free law from the 1st of June this year. It's a very strong law, uh, fully compliant with the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control. All indoor public places and uh, quite a range of outdoor public places are required to be 100% smoke-free. 
So as I said, it's a very strong law. It's the strongest law, in fact, that we've seen in China to date. Uh, no exceptions, no loopholes. So, you know, a very, very uh, encouraging piece of legislation. Uh, importantly, since the 1st of June, we've seen a very strong enforcement effort. The, uh, the implementation of the law is, is going very well. Uh, and we're also seeing very strong, very high levels of public awareness and support for the law. Uh, around 80 or 90% of people are both aware that the law exists, which is, uh, of course, very important, uh, but also similarly high levels of public support. And one of the things that I've been very encouraged uh, to see is that the, there's really a sense of the community getting behind uh, the enforcement of this law in Beijing. Uh, for instance, there are thousands of volunteers, around 10,000, I think, signed up volunteers today who are uh, out on the beach, on the streets, in the restaurants, bars, etc., supporting the enforcement of the law. Uh, and we're seeing huge numbers of uh, people calling into the enforcement hotline to report violations. And this is important because people, I think it shows that people here really do want the, the Beijing Smoke Free Law to succeed. And the reason for that is obvious. People like being able to breathe air that is unpolluted by others' secondhand smoke. Some really very encouraging signs from Beijing at the moment. More generally, we know from thanks to the ITC project that levels of public support for smoke-free public spaces in China are very high across the country. Higher, in fact, than in other countries like France, Ireland, uh, and the UK before those countries implemented smoke-free laws. So thanks to um, the, the good work of our colleagues at the ITC project, we know that uh, there's really no question that China is ready now for a national smoke-free law. Beijing has helped uh, pave the way for that law, which is terrific. Uh, and the ITC project, as I've said, has been very important in, in helping us to build the case for this. Judith, um, a little while ago you, you did say that the ITC project has been the evidence that's come out of it has been quite instrumental, uh, really high up in the, in the Chinese government. I, I wonder if you can elaborate on some of that for us. It uh, must be music to Jeff's ears to, to learn that. Well, there are three different kinds of evidence systems that have really influenced China and which play a part there and play very complementary roles. So Richard Pito in Oxford, through the Kaduri study of chronic disease in China, um, has been really looking at data, uh, looking at the of smoking and now the deaths and what will happen, the predictions for the future. So basically looking at morbidity and mortality in China. And the report has recently come out basically showing that tobacco smoking is set to kill one in every three young men in China. That's not one in every three smokers. The numbers for that, of course, are a lot higher. It's really almost coming up to two out of every three. But one in every three men in China, young men in China, will be killed by tobacco. And that kind of evidence on the deaths caused by tobacco, of course, does have a very major impact on the thinking of the country because really no government wants to read that it is inaction will cause and be responsible for so many deaths of their people. So that's the first kind of evidence. And then the second kind of evidence that has been um, active in China is the surveillance surveys, such as the Global Adult Tobacco Surveys. And they focus on smoking prevalent and key smoking behaviors. And they provide snapshots, for example, of exposure to secondhand smoke in key venues. 
And although they include a few questions on policy effects, evaluation is not the main focus of the GATS and the youth studies that are being done by the CDC. So what the ITC does is the third kind of study, and these are evaluation studies, evaluation on the policies that are put in place. Do they work? Do they not work? What works in China? What doesn't? In other words, the effectiveness of tobacco control policies. Um, and if they're not working, why are they not working? And Jeff has just described this, that these ITC findings have demonstrated clearly that what China has done over the last 30 years until very recently has had almost no effect, a very minimal effect on smoking rates. And so I think the encouraging thing about this ITC project is that it does reach the highest levels of government, such as the Central Party School, as I mentioned, and the State Council and the National People's Congress. They're slotted into the decision makers in China and therefore are hugely influential. And certainly in my meetings with the Party School, one of the things that the Party School wants to know is you know, how to implement these. For example, when smoke-free areas are created, you know, is it the police that polices? Is it volunteers? Is it people from the Department of Health? They're really keen to know what's happened in other countries, very keen to know what the opinion surveys have been in other countries so that they can, in a very practical sense, see the best way forward. So I think these ITC studies are absolutely crucial in terms of guiding the Chinese government of implementing tobacco control policies consistent with the WHO-FCTC. Right, thanks very much, Angelo. Um, Jeff, what about the ITC project in general? Uh, what, what's the team focusing on into the future now? We're expanding. We have a, another country that's being added to the ITC project, which is um, Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. And we're excited. This is our first country in the uh, Eastern Mediterranean region. So we're going to be uh, really interested in examining cigarette smoking as compared with uh, shisha or water pipe and the co-occurrence of the two and how transitions are made. Uh, indeed, throughout the world, we are thinking with respect to tobacco products in a much broader way than ever. And this has been occasioned by the extraordinary um, increase of interest and also of experimentation and also of use of electronic cigarettes. And so that's a focus of the ITC project. In fact, we are hoping to start a very large project across three countries United States, Canada, and England to examine the uh, relationship between cigarettes and e-cigarettes uh, over time. And as these three countries uh, change their policies and regulations toward e-cigarettes, we will be there with our cohort survey to evaluate the impact of these policies, both tobacco control policies and policies directed at these alternative nicotine uh, delivery devices to examine whether those policies influence switching, uh, dual use, and uh, quitting of cigarettes altogether. And if so, uh, what does that tell us about the impact of those policies? And really, the only way of looking at policy impact is to look at uh, different countries. So there are a number of countries that are considering uh, regulations and policies on e-cigarettes. But really, 
nothing can be done uh, in those countries uh, to examine policies in, in those countries. You have to look to other countries that are implementing those policies to have any uh, evidence uh, that may be helpful for your own country. So we're in a number of uh, different countries. We are ramping up our, our research on e-cigarettes, and that also includes China itself. Although the e-cigarette was uh, invented in China, and although much of the world's production of e-cigarettes is in China or goes through China, it turns out from our research that uh, e-cigarette usage, experimentation and usage, has been quite low in China until very recently. Um, however, we also know that the China National Tobacco Company is on their way to uh, making their own e-cigarettes. And so this is going to be uh, an extraordinary opportunity from the ground up to examine what is going on with e-cigarettes, the introduction of e-cigarettes uh, in China. Uh, so we're looking forward uh, to that opportunity to um, evaluate those policies and, and really look at these alternative nicotine delivery devices. Um, so that's really it for the ITC project uh, in general and, and, our, and in our future. We're going to try to modify our project in step with uh, changes, uh, rather rapid changes, in um, the tobacco um, scene all over the world. Well, I don't think there's anybody in global tobacco control uh, who takes this area seriously, who really knows their stuff, who doesn't know what a, an enormous uh, contribution your project has brought to our global understanding of, uh, of policies and practices. So uh, congratulations on, on having started it off. I just wonder if I can finish now with just uh, the same question, basically, to Judith first and then to Angela. Um, and this is about the, the future, how you see the future for tobacco control in China. How quickly do you think the change that we are seeing now um, will, will it continue? Will it accelerate? Do you think it'll, it'll go back to a resting position or plateau? What's your crystal ball saying to you about it, Judith? Uh, my crystal ball, Simon, is saying that there will be progression from now on. I think it will not be easy, it will not be quick, but then there's no country in the world where it's quick and easy, as we know from Australia to Canada even. Um, it tends to be a, a long haul and a long slog. But on the other hand, when China decides to act, it can certainly act quickly if it wishes, as it has done on a number of items. So um, I, I foresee this progression forward with the opportunity to have a few quick hits as well. But going all through the different legislation, the extension of smoke-free areas, the extension of the advertising ban to include sponsorship, the uh, ongoing business about increasing tax, these are all going to require quite a commitment and a lot of work. But I think um, I'd like to say just one thing that really does encourage me about China, and that is that both the party school and also the Academy of Government, these twin pillars of government, they actually do really understand the true economic arguments of tobacco. I don't think everybody in the country does in government, but prior to now, if you ever said anything about tobacco control, it would be, yes, but it will harm our farmers, yes, but it will harm our manufacturers, it will harm our restaurants if we go smoke-free and so on. But I think at the party school, they really understand the huge economic debit 
of uh, the use of tobacco in China in terms of medical and health costs, premature deaths, lost productivity, even the fires, deforestation, all the things we know so well that are a huge drain on the economy. And in fact, one of the director of the tobacco project in the party school actually said to me about this argument, he said the argument to say that people would lose their jobs is nonsense. He said a million people in China lose their jobs every year um, because of tobacco. In other words, they die. So I think that understanding of the true economic argument um, is really valuable because the economic concerns are one of the biggest obstructions for governments taking action. So I think that's a really, really encouraging sign that um, at least some of the leaders in China uh, do really have grasped that, that economic reality. And I have to say that many people in many governments really haven't quite got there yet. I think the biggest challenge for China is what to do about the structure of tobacco control. Because at the moment, the responsibility for the Framework Convention for tobacco control is under the sort of jurisdiction of industry, the tobacco industry. So it has a double role. It grows tobacco and sells it, but it's also responsible in the law, for example, for things like health warnings. And I think one of the recommendations that I know the ITC project, WHO and myself, many people have suggested to the Chinese government, there needs to be a separation of function here, such as they have done in Thailand, so that there isn't a conflict of interest. And I think the party school does understand that, but it's very difficult to move things forward with any rapidity when the tobacco industry is actually in charge of tobacco control. That's that structure, that fundamental structure, I'm not talking about privatization, that's not what's being recommended, but the separation of those two functions within the government is going to be a huge challenge for China in the future. I think that's a, a point very well made indeed, Judith. Um, Angela, have you anything you'd like to add just before we wrap up here about the future? Sure, thanks Simon. Well, I'm optimistic about the future. I agree with Judith that there is that it will be a very tough battle ahead. There's no question about that, and I'm not naive about that. And I think the point about the, this fundamental conflict of interest with the tobacco industry in China uh, makes make that point very well. But um, I'm optimistic for two reasons. First of all, I think that on smoke-free policies specifically, there is no question that the momentum for a national smoke-free law is growing in China. Not so long ago, people were saying that uh, smoke-free could never really work in China, you know, that smoking was too much part of the culture, that it could never be successfully enforced. Arguments, I might say, which have been trotted out all over the world. But the success of, uh, of the Beijing smoke-free law has really changed the conversation on this. Beijing has shown us that it can be done, that a robust law, which is well enforced, will work in China. And we've seen in other places that once the momentum for smoke-free takes hold, once people see and experience the benefits of smoke-free policies in practice, that there's really no turning back. So that's the first reason for my optimism. Uh, and the second one, more generally, is that I am completely convinced that there is a tipping point in the not-too-distant future where, a little bit like uh, Judith was saying, where uh, China's leaders will decide that tobacco is fundamentally doing much more harm to this country than it is good. And when that point comes, when China really decides to act on something, we've seen in other areas that 
it can act quickly and change can happen, you know, very fast. So I see it as our job at WHO to keep making the arguments and presenting the evidence uh, so that we get to that tipping point as quickly as possible. Uh, and of course, the work of the RTC project is crucially important uh, in this regard. We've talked a lot today about the really uh, crucial evidence that the RTC project uh, helps to provide us with to help us make some of those arguments. So uh, as I say, I'm, I'm optimistic and I'm looking forward to continuing to work with colleagues like Jeff and Judith uh, on this incredibly important area because I just I think that there are a few more, uh, very few more important areas for, for public health in China. Well, I know that there's enormous uh, excitement building internationally about uh, what China's starting to do with renewable energy uh, transformation. So uh, if this is going to be another example in tobacco control, I think we'll all uh, will be very, very happy to see that. Now, Angela, I know that you've probably got some of those 10,000 volunteers just waiting outside your door now for uh, to report back to you about what they're doing with the implementation. <laughs> so I think we'd probably better wrap it up. This has been a wonderfully informative and interesting uh, session and I thank you all uh, for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.